We have embarked on a journey through the book of John, and oh, has it been a wonderful start. I listened to Daryl because I wasn't at church uh, that day on the podcast. I don't know if I've ever heard Daryl so excited. He gets excited, but it was amazing to hear his excitement about the book of John beginning. It is an exciting book. If you would take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, hopefully if you came today and you didn't bring a Bible, we give out those books. I would encourage you, if you're a Christian or you have that Bible, mark it up today. Make some notes. Daryl and I will work hard to really be in this text, and we're going to share a lot of things today, and we hope that you will walk out learning about what John has been teaching us. So John chapter 1, we're actually going to start in verse 19. And I do want to prepare you. Um, The book of John is a lot like going to a movie, and it's not even a 3D experience. We've all done that. One of the nurses that I worked with this last week said, my kids all went to Avatar for a 4D experience, but I didn't want to go. And I kind of felt like I was late to the party, and I go, what in the world is 4D? And she says, there's sights, the, 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 the seats move around, there's smells. And she's like, I was going to get sick if I experienced that. John spent three years with Jesus Christ. He is passionate that we don't even see Jesus in three dimensions. Out of honor for the word of God, would you please stand and hold on because we are going to experience a 4D experience of Jesus. Look at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he may be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he who on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, some of us might be already a little bit sick. This this is amazing. Someone named John knew you, 
and then wrote down what actually happened. Lord, help us right now by your Spirit. Help us right now to follow John into this room, into this section of Scripture, so that we see Jesus and we leave that room changed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, would you please be seated with your Bibles open? Have you ever read the book, Are You My Mother? Just a show of hands. Am I the only one? Are You My Mother? Well, if you haven't read this book, it's an imaginary story about our identity. Let me give you the setting of this little book. A mother bird sits on her little egg in a tree. Some of you are going, I know this story. By the way, any good story that begins in a tree and ends in a tree, which is the Christian story, is going to be a good story. Well, this little mother bird flies away in search for some food for her child, but suddenly the egg hatches and the mother is not there. The baby bird is all alone and he decides to search for his mother, but he falls from the tree. Any good story starts with a tree. Any good story has a fall at the tree. Well, what does this little bird, baby bird do? All alone, he walks right by his mother. He did not know the identity of his own, of his own mother. She was right there the whole time. He meets a kitten. And like all cats, the cat is no help, says nothing. He then meets a hen. Are you my mother? The hen simply says a word, no. He meets a cow, and the cow says, how as a cow can I be your mother? Very reasonable cow. He then turns to technology. He meets a car, which won't even speak to him, a boat and a plane, and finally a bulldozer, something that constructs. The bulldozer makes a loud noise that the bird calls a snort, and the bird knows right away this just no way can be my mother. Absolutely disoriented, scared, and distressed, the baby bird says, where am I? I want to go home. The snort scoops him up, drops him in his nest. The mother flies into the nest, and the mother says these words, do you know who I am. Yes, says the little bird, I know who you are. You are not a kitten. You're not a hen. You're not a dog. You're not a car. You're not a boat. You're not a snort. You're a bird. And you're my mother. That compelling and compact plot teaches us all that identity matters. Identity. It's the story We tell ourselves about ourselves. It's what gives us a sense of self-worth and those deepest of human desires, security and freedom. I don't know if you're aware of what our friends and our neighbors are asking, but they're asking deep questions about identity. Identity politics, sexual preference, gender, race. You can even construct your identity online and look really good. Facebook right now has 71 gender options because it imagines that our identity is fluid. 
There's usually two ways that people imagine their identity. Number one, it's this. Maybe you've said it to yourself. Be true to yourself. Security comes from something outside of you, your family. And by the way, family's great. Your career. Often people will say, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a nurse and I'm a pastor. Is that my identity, though? Some of you, it's your race or your status. Wow, have you gotten high in that company? It's your role. It's your religious tradition. It's your sports team. You build your identity on something outside of you. Now, some of you are like, I would never do that. You know someone or you do the other one. You say, uh-uh, something outside of me I don't have to be true to. I'm going to do myself. You ever hear this phrase? You do you. You take it upon yourself to redefine yourself, and this is all about freedom. I will be who I want to be, but you build your identity on something inside you. And what's so confusing is these are mutually exclusive options. The problem with both of these approaches is that identity is built on something to give security and freedom. John is going to invite us to reimagine our identity as built on someone. So the title of this sermon is simply, Who Are You? Who are you? Only by believing in Christ's identity can you be established in your own identity. Some of you want a map for a talk because you get distracted easily. Well, the map for today is we're going to see that John identified who he wasn't. He identified who he was. And then he says it all because of who Christ is. John will do something in this story that invites our attention And he's going to do it over and over as Daryl and I go back and forth preaching this book of John. He's going to do something that invites our attention. He's going to give points, and some of you love points in a talk, but he's also going to give pictures. I want you to think think about what John will do over and over like a can opener. If you've got something and you want to get into it, if all you did was have one thing like the points, you could probably attack the contents. But John's going to say, you have points, you have pictures, and when you anchor them together and allow the story to unfold, you will get to the contents. Watch this in the book of John. It's fascinating. Points and pictures. So that's what we have today. We have two points. We have two pictures. The points, who he wasn't, who John was. The pictures, a lamb and a dove. Let's begin. John identified, first point, who he was not. Look at verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and didn't deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. John the witness is approached by religious leaders called the Jews on a fact-finding mission. In the Greek, it's emphatic. They walk up and they say, you, an identity statement. You, identify yourself. What's your identity? Now, this is important if you have the book of John. Circle the word Jews. Because the Jews will be brought up over 70 times. 
And they are always the defensive team that arrives to oppose the identity of Christ. Every time you read their name, I want you to hear something. In fact, I'm going to ask Sam to come up to the keyboard. When you read The Jews, I want you to hear the soundtrack from the movie Jaws. Why? In the movie Jaws, it's just two notes. It's the E and the F. But all of a sudden, as you're watching this movie with just simply two notes... It's one of the most terrifying musical scores in all of cinema because they play over and over to signal that the monster is getting close and the shark is going to attack. Thank you, Sam, for those two notes. Now, this is important. The Jews loved the Bible. The Pharisees loved the Bible. And by the way, look at verse 24. This group of Jews had been sent by the Pharisees But this is so important. If there was a single note, the Bible, the law, that's great. But when you add, like Jaws did, that little E, F, E, F, and it gets faster and faster. When you add to the Word of God and you start to oppose Christianity, there is a real problem. Uh, who were these Pharisees? A small group of about 6,000 thought leaders, influencers of the day. They had great podcasts, but when you tuned into their podcasts, they would say, separate yourself. That's what the word means, Pharisee, from anybody who lives loosely, not only with the law of Moses, but with what we've added to the law of Moses. More accurately, They separated themselves from anyone who lived loosely with the little extra laws that they added to ensure the big laws would not get broken. Their motive, meticulous additional behaviors will gain and retain the righteousness and favor with God. For instance, many of you have heard of what's called the Day of Atonement. It was one day where these amazing things happened And everybody was not supposed to eat. It was supposed to be a day where I will go without my food to really heighten my attention on the fact that God atoned. The Pharisees said, you know what we ought to do? On Monday and Thursday, we ought to do that each week. It's never in the Bible. The note in the Bible is just the E. You know, day of atonement. But they add that weird little da-da-da. Now Monday and Thursday go without food. And people were into it. They're like, wow, I'm really feeling acceptable to God. But what if on Monday they caught you eating a cinnamon roll? Da-da, da-da. I mean, you walked around these people always, you know, knowing that you're going to get caught for something. Preference for them became policy. They were the purity police, and they would pull you over relationally if you did not share their perspective on their preference. I want to prepare you if you are a Christian. If you identify with Christ and you don't do all the extra additional things that all the religions, and I would even argue evangelical Christianity, my goodness, that's kind of the tribe I've identified with. There are all kinds of additional things that have been added to the simplicity of the gospel. 
if you stand for the identity of Christ alone, you will experience opposition. Because Christ will not allow you to add to his word. He will not allow you to construct a false identity on additional behaviors he never gave. So John the Baptist's identity really puzzled them. And let's pause there. Many of you Christians, why do we call him John the Baptist? When I meet John in heaven, if I go, John the Baptist, I would hope he would look at me and say, you just did it. Why did you? Of course I baptized. But why did you identify me with something I did? That's what the Pharisees were good at. I think John calls him John the Witness, and I think John the Witness would be comfortable with that identity marker. They're looking at John. Who is this guy? He's not following all of our rules. Is he the Christ? Is he Elijah? Who are you, John? John the Witness answers in the negative. He says, I'll help you out here. I'm not, I'm not the Christ. I'm only the warm-up act. I'm the supporting act. I'm not the main act. I'm not the headliner. I am not the Christ. By the way, he didn't say I'm not a Christ. He focused in. We are in a time in history He's saying that the Christ has arrived, and I'm not him. Look at verse 21. They asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. I love how John, because he does want to help these Pharisees figure out, you know, these Pharisees are going to be very technical, so... I love how it gets shorter and shorter. I'm not the Christ. You know, I am not. No, he gets shorter and shorter. Why would they mistake his identity with Elijah, the prophet of old? Well, it was believed that Elijah would come and anoint the Messiah. We see it in Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So you could be a little sensitive there. Is this guy Elijah? Why did they mistake him for someone called the prophet? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, Moses predicted that a prophet would come. Look at verse 18, Deuteronomy 18, 18. I'm going to raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Maybe this is the one. They did what many of us do, though. They kept mistaking someone's identity based on what they do. So they focus in on the fact that John was baptizing. Look at verse 25. They asked him, why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, in this group, remember, they knew the Bible. They knew the letter. They knew the e-note. They knew the scripture. They knew the ancient prophecy that when the Messiah would arrive, baptism would really start to happen like never before. Ezekiel 36, 25, it says, when the Messiah arrives, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. But John said, with all that, with all that out there, send back to these Pharisees, priests and Levites, I am not the Christ. Then he goes positive. This is our second point. He identified who he was. Look at verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He recites the words from Isaiah. I'm only the voice. Our voice gives away our identity in the same way our fingerprint does. I'm going to miss hearing the voice of my father-in-law. 
it's already starting to fade. Our voice identifies us. And he says, I am only the voice. And what did his voice come to say? I'm clearing a path. I'm getting the road ready because the conquering king, Jesus Christ, is coming to town. Why would he say this? At that time, when a Roman emperor defeated a kingdom, someone would go out to the wilderness and say, someone of great importance is coming. By the way, you do this if someone comes to your house. If you love them, you prepare, don't you? That person would be in charge of clearing a path for the caravan of the conquering king to travel on. And John says, I'm preparing the way for the Lord. In Hebrew, Yahweh. This is one of those mysterious moments. It's getting 4D again. Is Jesus a man, or is he preparing a way for the arrival of God? This is what his voice was saying. I'm, I'm making this pathway. The Christ is God. John is so humble. He says, the Christ is so significant, I'm not, I can't even untie his shoes. Now, back then, if you had a teacher you followed, you didn't have to untie your teacher's shoes because only a slave would do it. John says, my voice says the Lord is coming. The Messiah is arriving. I'm just making way. And he's so significant that I'm not, I'm not going to untie his shoes because a slave would be able to do that. I, I, I won't even do what a slave would do. That's how amazing this Christ is. So John's identity as prophet was to tell everyone, Jew and non-Jew, get baptized. You got to clean up. The king is on the way. John will say over and over, I baptize with water. Why did John do this? And if you're new to Christianity, maybe you've wondered, why do we baptize all the time? Well, when a non-Jew converted to become a Jew, the men would be circumcised. And the men and the women would be baptized. Why? Water symbolizes a washing away of impurities that are part of your old identity. The sting that John gave, though, which was so confusing, which brought the group to say, I'm having a hard time with your identity, is John would turn to a non-Jew and say, get cleaned up, the king is coming. But he would turn to a Jew and say, get cleaned up. It's like some of you today felt like, why am I confessing my sin? I'm already forgiven. John said the Jews also needed to clean up, wash up. Everyone's a moral misfit. The king is on the way. Turn away from what defaces, distorts, and dirties your relationship with God and others. So let's catch our breath. John gave us two points. Who he wasn't, who he was. And by the way, this matters. If you're wondering, what does this matter for my life? Your identity and getting it wrong or right matters to God. John's identity, not the Christ. John's identity, he's a voice crying out with vivid clarity concerning the identity of the Christ who has arrived as the king. Lastly, John identifies who the Christ is. That's an identity statement. Two pictures, a lamb and a dove. Christ was the Lamb of God. Look at verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, 
which was the strongest way of saying, look. And a lot of people think there were a lot of sheep around because it was the time of Passover. He probably looked out and saw a bunch of sheep in Jesus. And he had one of those moments as a prophet just to say, look. And everybody's like, I see a bunch of sheep and I see a guy walking here. And he says this, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A lamb? This conquering king identified with a lamb? Not a sheep. That's a full-grown. We're talking about a lamb. We're talking about something that is young, innocent, helpless, humble. The lamb of God. The lamb provided by God. Why? Why would God need to provide a lamb? Uh, For a pet? For food? For sacrifice. Sinners need a sacrifice. Why? To take away sin. Sin, not a mistake, not a dysfunction, not a struggle, not an oversight, not an issue. Sin. Some of you question, do we really need a lamb? Do we really need a lamb? A lot of our neighbors who we love really question this. What is the point? You know, Freud comes along and writes his famous book, Taboo and Totem, and says, all of these anxieties about being guilty, it's made up. Get over it. Kierkegaard, the Christian, said, why is it then that every physician will tell you everybody has a little bit of a sickness? Kierkegaard said, if any physician worth their salt will say every human has a bit of a sickness, why is it that every human struggles with a little bit of anxiety about not exactly being right? So yes, why do we need the lamb? We must have a sacrifice to pay for our sin. This will not be a place, Aspen Grove, for good people to gather, but for guilty people to find sanctuary where lawbreakers will find safety. We need a sacrifice. If you walked out right now into the parking lot, and somebody else in here had crashed into your car. I know you'd be all, oh my, but they're going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay, or their insurance company better pay. If you crash a relationship, if you violate someone's dignity, you need to pay. Sin is deeply rooted. Notice the identity of this sacrifice. The lamb takes away the sin of the world. Takes away. Now, some of you know that day of atonement I was talking about that the Pharisees had to add all these extras to, one thing happened on the Day of Atonement that has the same phrase as this lamb that takes up and takes away sin. Do you remember that on that day, all the people would gather and the priest would walk in and he would take a little ram and they'd kill that little ram, little goat. They'd grab another goat. And the priest, with everybody watching, would put his hands on the head of that little goat, which was his way of saying, all of your sins, every one of them, will be put on this goat. Now, tradition says that someone would take that goat into the wilderness. Why? Nobody wants that goat coming back. You can transfer sin, but if it's not taken up and taken away, and tradition tells us that the guy that was in charge of taking that goat away would go to the nearest cliff and throw them off. I want you to know, Christian, when you struggle, is my sin gone? It has been taken up onto the Lamb of God 
It has been taken away. You are free from accusation. Oh, this is good news. This is good news. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him, the coming Messiah, the iniquity of us all. It's a very important implication. God does not want or need your sacrifice. God does not want or need your sacrifice to be acceptable to him. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. We're so lost. It took Jesus to die for us as the lamb. We're so loved that the father wanted to send his only son and the son wanted to come and die for us. On the cross, remember his word. It's finished. You know what that means in Greek? Paid in full. This is good news. The identity of Christ, that's our first picture. He's a lamb. Oh, that's such a good picture. And the last picture is given, he's a dove. Like a dove. Look at verse 31. John says, hey, for this purpose I came baptizing with water, but it's that he might be revealed to Israel. That's Jesus. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit. That was when he was baptizing Jesus, which pause. Why would Jesus, who never sinned, have to get washed? Because when the sinners, those religious Jews that thought they were keeping the law and those that were not Jews, they stood in line saying, I need to get washed. And they would step forward and get baptized. I need to get washed. Our Savior saw broken humanity and said, I'm getting in line. And he took those steps. Can you imagine seeing Jesus Christ who had never sinned getting in the line of sinners? I deserve to be there. Everyone deserved to be there, but he stepped forward. And John's looking at Jesus And he says, oh my goodness, when I washed Jesus clean, who's simply there representing like that lamb does, John says something something 4D starts to happen when this is going on. He says, I bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven. It was like a dove, and it didn't leave him. It remained on him. Ah, what a sight. I wish I was there. Spirit, like a dove. In Genesis, the ancient story tells us the Spirit hovered like a dove over the waters and creation commenced. The Spirit, whenever you read it, and you're going to see it a lot in the Gospel of John, circle it. The Spirit is the verb of the tripersonal God. Christians believe that God is one, Father, Son, Spirit. Whenever you read Spirit, you're dealing with the verb. The personal verb, the Spirit's hovering, heating, hatching new life. As the story continues, the dove, remember, marked the end of judgment after Noah's flood. Do you remember? This dove gets sent out, and it comes back with nothing. Noah's a little worried. Sent out again, though. And by the way, it was sent out because it had no place to rest. It's an interesting word, isn't it? had no place to rest. But Noah sends it out again, and it comes back. What does it have? It has a part of a tree in its beak, a leaf from an olive tree. All good stories have trees. The dove returns. There's a tree that gives life. There's a tree that gives life. What kind of a story has a tree that gives life? The life on that tree would prove that the storm of sin's consequences are over. 
Why is it significant that the Spirit rested on Jesus Christ? Because there was an ancient prophecy. Some of you read your Bibles a lot and you've missed it. Isaiah 11.2 said, when the Messiah comes, here it is, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. That was the identity marker. Rest means to remain, to settle, to not leave. Jesus is identified as the Christ. But then he does something unimaginable. Hold on. Hold on to your seats here. Jesus doesn't simply experience the Spirit. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Baptism has a negative significance. Cleanse away the pollution and penalty of sin. But the Holy Spirit arrives with positive significance and pours out upon you new life forever. Child of God, the personal power of God, the Spirit, can change you now. This is very important. You think that you can't fix something? The Spirit, who Christ baptizes you in and with, can help you fix the unfixable, bear the unbearable, and do the undoable. We have a new identity in Christ given to us by the Spirit. That's earlier in John 1. You can go back and look at that. It's good news. So John does something. He's got great points, and some of you love those points. He wasn't this, he was this, and those pictures. Who will ever forget this lamb and this dove? But then John is such a good storyteller. He fuses the points, like that can opener. He takes the pictures, and the contents of Jesus are revealed. Read it with me. Look at verse 34. I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. This should take our breath away. At ground zero, Jesus is the Son of God. His Father said at that baptism, this is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased. If you are identified with Jesus Christ, it matters because now you are in a relationship with Christ and He is your brother. You have a brother. At ground zero, you are a child of God which means you're loved. You know those things that are identity, we, we, we want to get from that? The security, you have security. If you have a father in heaven and a brother named Jesus Christ, what more security do you need? And you have freedom. You're stuck. I can't do anything. The spirit which remained and settled on him, if you are a Christian, is not just on you. He is in you. The spirit that hovered and hatched all of creation is in you. But I'm struggling with this sin. I know. I am too. Oh, this changes everything if Jesus is the Son of God. And you can stop searching for your identity. Your Father loves you. Now that you know who He is, Jesus Christ, you finally know who you are. Did anybody catch the story of Lynn Moody and Lisa Wright being reunited? I, I heard about this and I just, it, it's a beautiful story. Now, many of you are like, well, who in the world is the actress Lynn Moody? This is going to date some of us. Remember the old show Roots? Lynn Moody was one of the actresses in this show, but Lynn Moody in her life gave her little girl up for adoption. 
her little girl, Lisa. But after about 50 years, Lisa wanted to find out who was my mother. She was really struggling with her identity. Lynn Moody, by the way, was in a very famous sitcom, which I never watched, called That's My Mama. Well, this is where the story gets very interesting. Lisa, the daughter, grew up watching her favorite show called That's My Mama. And guess who was the star of That's My Mama? Her mama! Lisa was watching her mother growing up, but after the DNA swab said that your mother is the famous Lynn Moody, she called her. Imagine that phone call. She said, when Lynn answered, is this my mother? She waited for a voice. This is how she tells the story. A voice on the other end said, is this my daughter? And then Lynn said this, yes, sweetie, this is your mom. And Lisa said it was the most indescribable feeling. Our identity matters. Do you believe in Christ's identity? Have you built your identity on Christ alone? Would you pray with me? Father, our culture is very focused on identity. I'm so thankful that John, the disciple, took the time to write a story that we just entered, like a room, to tell us about John, not the Baptist, John the witness, John the voice, John the one that was willing to be honest, even with those difficult Pharisees. Lord, some of us today struggle with our identity. Some of us here don't even identify with Jesus Christ because believing in Jesus Christ just sounds a little odd. May this story, through your Spirit, bring new life even today. I pray that your Spirit has been hovering and hatching a new child of God. And as we walk forth as a little outpost of the kingdom, that people in Indian land and our surrounding suburbs would find out who they are because they know who you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen.